Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. We are still cruising through our summer of abdominal angst. We are covering that huge list of core concepts, the differential diagnosis for abdominal pain. And so far, we've covered the most high-yield GI causes, and we've started working through our GU causes, the pelvises. Last week, we talked about the queen mother of all GU critical diagnoses, ectopic pregnancy. All women of childbearing age with abdominal pain or vaginal bleeding need a pregnancy test. This week, though, I'm going to take it in a completely opposite direction. And to be honest, this topic isn't even on the CDEM curriculum, even though it probably should be. This is a lecture you might not hear in residency. And I think it's probably one of the most high-yield discussions I can ever have with you, if I'm honest. And so let me preface this by saying one of the single best lectures I've ever heard, ever, regarding emergency medicine at least, which kind of turned me on to this topic, and you should absolutely listen to it, was the EM Cases Podcast UTI episode. Uh, It was episode 94, because it was just so counter to what I was taught at Ohio State in medical school. It was so counter to what I was seeing done in residency at UT. It was so opposite of just how I was practicing. And so it was on the show, uh, it was Justin Morgenstern, I think that's how you say it. He was on that episode. And so he has a blog called First 10 EM that covered UTI as well. And there was kind of a lot of overlap. And so that was, these are my kind of my primary sources today, just kind of FYI. It was, it was some of the best content I've, I feel like has ever been put out there. And it was, all, it was regarding this like, quote, boring topic, urinary tract infection. So let's go this week. Hello, Dr. Olson. I have a 59-year-old female with a past medical history of hysterectomy, kidney stones, diabetes, otherwise healthy, who presents with abdominal pain. She describes it as a constant, annoying, mild, lower abdominal pain that does not radiate. It's been worsening for about three days. She states she has had dysuria in urinary frequency, but denies vaginal bleeding, vaginal discharge, fevers, or vomiting. Her vitals are all within normal limits. Her exam has maybe some mild suprapubic tenderness, but no CVA tenderness. She's otherwise non-toxic appearing. I actually think it's probably a urinary tract infection, but I also want to rule out AAA, diverticulitis, and appendicitis. I want to get a CBC, a BMP, a urinalysis and a CT abdomen and pelvis without contrast, and I'd like to treat her with some Tylenol for now. This week, let's talk urinary tract infections. The most important thing to remember this week, the urinalysis is way, how should I say this, overrated. We rely on it way too much. You'll hear people say, Well, the white blood cell count is the last refuge of the intellectually destitute. And you'll hear emergency medicine people poking fun, uh, you know, at surgeons and stuff all the time for being notoriously over-reliant on that fallible, fallible white blood cell count, which is neither sensitive nor specific for anything. But if that's true, then I need to be honest with you. I need to be honest with myself. Let's put the mirror on ourselves, on, on me. In my experience... The urinalysis is the last refuge of the intellectually destitute emergency medicine clinician. 
I am prone myself to over-reliance on this test, and I just basically have to constantly remind myself to be careful. Not that we shouldn't order it or shouldn't use it, no. But you need to treat the urinalysis in context with your history and exam the same way you would approach the white blood cell count. And just, you know, to kind of, you know, sneak peek this episode, generally speaking, Isolated abnormalities of the urinalysis are neither sensitive nor specific for anything, um, including urinary tract infection, okay? So this week, this is going to be a little different than the previous weeks. I want to just go through my top five golden urinary pearls, okay? So golden pearl number one. Here is how you interpret the urinalysis for beginners, like urinalysis 101. So there are two signs of inflammation on a urinalysis. They tend to go together. Those two things are the leukocyte esterase and the white blood cells. By themselves, leukocyte esterase and white blood cells mean nothing. They can be seen with some, but not all, urinary tract infections. You will, quite frankly, see it with many inflammatory processes in the pelvis. So appendicitis, diverticulitis, sexually transmitted infections, abscess, kidney stones, whatever. They are seen with oliguria, anything that can cause low urine output. So anything that slows down how frequently you urinate, like renal insufficiency, dehydration, leukocyte esterase, and white blood cells are your classic markers of, quote, inflammation, which certainly can be present sometimes, but not always in urinary tract infection, as well as a variety of other things, okay? In isolation, Leukocyte esterase and white blood cells are neither sensitive nor specific enough to statistically shift a pretest suspicion for anything in any direction. It is not sensitive nor specific for urinary tract infection in isolation. The other category that you need to know on a urinalysis are the classic signs of bacterial presence, right? So nitrites, which are produced by some but not all types of bacteria, and then obviously Bacteria. Nitrites and bacteria are the two signs of bacterial presence on a urinalysis. But you need to know, not only do many urinary tract infections not have bacteria or nitrates on the urinalysis, even if you sent that for culture, upwards of one in four urinary tract infections will not grow out any bacteria at all. But it was definitely a UTI. So nitrates and bacteria in isolation, they're just like the white blood cell count and the leukocyte esterase, they are not sensitive enough to pick up the all urinary tract infections. So if you rely on it too much, you have a problem. But you, say, but you say, Zach, if somebody has nitrites or bacteria on their urine sample, is it specific for a urinary tract infection? After all, I have a urine sample with infection in it. Don't they have a urinary tract infection? And the answer is no, not in isolation. Here's golden pearl number two. Asymptomatic bacteria, bacteria is very real. 5%, even healthy young people, like me and you, have bacteria in their urine at any time and are totally asymptomatic. That's millions of people. When you look at older people, this number gets even higher. Depending on the study, I'll choose the, the high end, but in healthy old people, just like out living out in the community, upwards of 15 to 20% of geriatric patients just randomly have bacteria grown in their urine, causing no issues at all. Healthy geriatrics, that's without a urinary tract infection, okay? If you just like stick catheters in people, that number goes up to half of geriatrics in long-term 
care, have asymptomatic bacteria, uh, bacteria in their urine at any given time if you just randomly sample. So asymptomatic bacteriuria, it's so hard to say, is real and very common. And what that means is this. If you rely on nitrites and bacteria in the urine as an ED clinician to diagnose urinary tract infection, you're going to be prone to making misdiagnoses all the time. Because like I said, millions of people have bacteria in their urine and it's not the cause of their symptoms. Okay. So not only are leukocyte esterase and white blood cells not sensitive or specific for urinary tract infection in isolation, neither are nitrates or bacteria. Okay. So you start to wonder like, Ooh, you know, what's the point of getting the urinalysis? So it is useful, but let's, let's just kind of go into golden pearl number three here and you'll see why it can be useful. There are, there are four ways to actually diagnose a urinary tract infection correctly where you're not making a misdiagnosis. Okay. First, clinically, you can diagnose UTI clinically. So we know that if a patient has dysuria and frequency without vaginal symptoms, you almost don't even need a test. Not always, but patients with dysuria and frequency without vaginal symptoms, they have a UTI. The positive likelihood ratio for UTI is over 20. A urinalysis is almost never going to decrease, even if it's normal, it's almost never going to decrease your post-test probability of UTI far enough to actually change your management. The second way to diagnose a urinary tract infection is when the patient says, I think my UTI is back. So this is a fun fact. Of any historical or examination finding in isolation, a patient's self-diagnosis is the only finding that is strong enough by itself. So it's a likelihood ratio of four to diagnose a urinary tract infection. Okay? So the third way to diagnose a urinary tract infection. So just because leukocyte esterase with white blood cells and nitrates with bacteria in isolation are not sensitive or specific to change your post-test suspicion for urinary tract infection at all, if you've got the whole package, and so you got like nitrite-positive urine with tons of bacteria and white blood cells and large leukocyte esterase, and there's blood, right? This is probably good enough to diagnose urinary tract infection, assuming you had any level of pre-test suspicion at all, and assuming you've ruled out the other life threats. But you need all of it kind of together, not just by themselves. And let me remind you, many, many urinary tract infections will not have both inflammation and evidence of bacterial presence on the urinalysis at the same time. And it's a urinary tract infection. So this combo, keep in mind, is not sensitive at all. It's just very good when you see it. You can say, oh, that actually probably is a urinary tract infection. But there's something else I want to say right here on this point. Let me just give you a word of caution. So let's say your patient is one of the millions of North Americans who just have bacteria in their urine at any given time. No symptoms. And let's just run a scenario. So now let's say this one of these millions of people with chronic colonization of bacteria in their urine, let's say they get appendicitis. So now they've always had a large amount of bacteria and now they have inflammation in their urinalysis because you got some inflammation going on in the pelvis, which we know can cause some white blood cells and that type of thing. 
So you can, you can see this. So this patient has appendicitis and you can see how when this patient with an abnormal urinalysis comes back from triage and when you see them in this test, you already have your urine back and they have some lower abdominal tenderness and maybe some vomiting, maybe some low grade fevers. You can see how it'd be very, very easy to miss the correct diagnosis. It happens all the time. This is like just a classic foil. But if you, if you do have some symptoms of a urinary tract infection and you were like legitimately considering urinary tract infection beforehand and the urinalysis comes back with everything abnormal on it, you've almost clinched your diagnosis assuming that you've ruled out things like appendicitis. I think you get the point, but you just got to use caution here. And then wrapping up this pearl, the last way and the most common way that you can diagnose a urinary tract infection is kind of the art of medicine, right? It's using a combination of things. You can use your brain and piece this together. So consider all your bad mimics of, of urinary tract infection and kind of rule them out, okay? So, oh, no, I don't think it's appendicitis. I consider it appendicitis. I don't think it's appendicitis. If they have dysuria, let, let's say the patient, maybe they have some, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, it hurts a little bit to pee, but they don't really have frequency. So it's kind of like, a, you know, a mediocre history. And then say you get the, the urinalysis back. And let's say there's a whole bunch of whites, but there wasn't any bacteria. But, you know, they also didn't have any other pelvic symptoms or like vaginal bleeding or vaginal irritation or anything like that. And you don't really think it's like PID or anything else bad. You can kind of, you can see how you can kind of maybe stick things together and diagnose urinary tract infection and kind of increase your post-test probability far enough by just adding things together. Just you just have to be careful because this is this is an art, and so just know you know it's a it's an imperfect science. Science you just have to be careful. All right, so the four ways to diagnose a urinary tract infection. I know that was a lot. So there's you know clinically using that clinical triad of dysuria, urinary frequency without vaginal symptoms. There's patients who self-diagnose themselves. That's very specific. The grossly abnormal urinalysis. Once you've ruled out other big life threats, that's a reasonable diagnosis. And the art of piecing this and that together. Well, again, ruling out the other life threats can get you there as well. I hope you're starting to see how there's a big, how it's very important to have like a clinical suspicion for urinary tract infection in addition to just the urinalysis. I hope that's starting to come, come across to you. Here's golden pearl number four. This is a big one. The urinalysis and urine appearance and color and all of that is useless in patients with an indwelling Foley catheter. Pretty much every patient with a chronically indwelling Foley catheter, they have bacterial colonization in their urine. They have inflammation from the catheter. It's pretty much everybody. The urinalysis is always going to be abnormal every time. And that means the only way you can diagnose a urinary tract infection, pay attention here, the only way you can diagnose a urinary tract infection in a catheterized patient is if they have symptoms of a urinary tract infection. The urine is positive pretty much every single time, regardless of if they have a urinary tract infection or not, period. It's just useless in these patients. Your urinalysis is useless in a patient with a chronically indwelling Foley. It does not mean that they have a UTI. It does not mean that they don't have a UTI. It's just the urinalysis isn't going to help you. Maybe if you're going to send it for a culture because you're worried about a resistant urinary organism or something, sure, maybe you need to get a urine sample, but it's not to diagnose a urinary tract infection in these patients, okay? And then golden pearl number five, this one's big, is uh, geriatric patients just across the board. This is just a life, a life lesson for you. Geriatric patients, they don't feel stuff. I've had geriatric patients with huge infected kidney stones, pyelonephritis, 
no pain. Kidney stone, no pain. Because they're old and their body doesn't feel things like it used to. But in this, this goes both ways though. So urinary tract infections, totally known to legitimately cause geriatric patients to fall and get confused, whatever, without causing a lot of discomfort or urinary tract infection symptoms. Like geriatric people just don't feel stuff. So subtle symptoms, absolutely. Get a urine on these patients and see if that's potentially what's going on. The trap is, is thinking that just because you have a positive urinalysis means you found your diagnosis in these people when they actually had a subdural, right? They had chronic bacterial colonization. They've been vomiting because they have a head bleed. They got a little bit dehydrated. Now you got bacteria that were making nitrites beforehand, and you got some leukocyte esterase and whites because you're a little dehydrated from vomiting from your head bleed. So you have to be really, really, really careful that you're not missing something else. Make sure you're not missing pneumonia, cellulitis, osteomyelitis, thyroid issues, abuse, subdural hematomas, whatever you can think of. Be very careful. Geriatric people don't feel UTIs, so it's totally appropriate to get your analysis in them, but they don't feel really anything at all. So you get your urine, but you don't stop at your urine, if that makes sense. And those are your five golden pearls for urinary tract infection. Don't overly rely on the urinalysis. The urinalysis is the last refuge of the intellectually destitute emergency medicine doctor. In an age where we triage, we're triage testing everybody before we even examine them and they're coming back. And overall, we're just becoming overly reliant on tests. This is not a good test that you can rely on. You need to keep your brain on before you diagnose somebody with a urinary tract infection. I'm not saying don't diagnose a urinary tract infection. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying urinalysis is not a really great test for it either way. And you need to know that. And if this whole episode just seems like really like random and chaotic and not ranty, but just kind of scattered, just know that the urinary tract infection episode on EM cases was excellent. The first 10 EM urinary tract infection uh, blog post is excellent. I, it, this, is, this should be mandatory emergency medicine reading for you. It is some of the most high-yield things you'll, you'll ever read. So I, I'm, there's no way that my episode can do those justice. It's just I had to I – just, I just felt inspired to say something. So that wraps up this episode. More pelvises next week. But until then, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.